For what lay dying there was not Dominic of the Dogs of God, a leader in logical and controversial wars that could be reduced to a plan and handed on like a plan, a master of a machine of democratic discipline by which others could organize themselves. What was passing from the world was a person, a poet, an outlook on life like a light that was never after on sea or land, a thing not to be replaced or repeated while the earth endures. It has been said that there was only one Christian who died on the cross. It is truer to say in this sense that there was only one Franciscan whose name was Francis. Welcome to Pints with Chesterton, a podcast where two millennial women dive into the wonderful and whimsical works of Gilbert Keith Chesterton. I'm Grace. And I'm Marie. On today's episode, we are discussing chapters 6 through 10 of Chesterton's biography of St. Francis of Assisi. Grace, it is fantastic to see you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Um, How was your Christmas? It was good. It was quiet, but I was excited because I was able to actually spend Christmas Eve and go to mass at uh, my parish here in Baton Rouge. Um, And then on Christmas morning, I drove back to Alabama to see my family, which was nice. So that's awesome. How was yours? It was really, really beautiful. I um, I'm not going to lie. I was not really happily anticipating Christmas Day this year because David and I are expecting another baby and yay. Yay. And um, (laughs) I've just been really, really sick as I Mm -hmm. am in the first trimester every time. And um, I anticipated being horribly sick on Christmas and like not being able to provide any of the beauty really for my family. (laughs) Like I would normally be cooking and doing like Mm -hmm. fun things for Alexander. And um it was such a gift because about a week before Christmas, my sickness started getting way better. Hooray. And by the time Christmas came, I actually ate some of Christmas dinner and like Aww, uh, did gifts with my my boys. And yeah, so it was it was fantastic. And we went to um, a really beautiful Christmas Latin mass on Christmas morning. And mm. that wasn't what we were expecting to do. We were expecting to go to our parish, but the timing just worked out that way. And it was like, Mm -hmm. it was a very, very special mass and the music was gorgeous. And we just, we really felt God's presence there. So it was just wonderful. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. And then it was very quiet. Besides that, we kind of just (laughs) like had a lot of downtime, a lot of family visiting time. And um, yeah, it was the first Christmas where Alexander like recognized what a present was kind of. Mm -hmm. And yeah. He got a broom for Christmas and he was really (laughs) excited about that. Yeah. So it was, it was really good. And we're, we're enjoying this season. David's off work right now. So we're just, oh, that's great. We're happy. That's awesome. And I'm, I'm very excited because as I'm starting to feel better, we've been talking more again and planning for pints with Chesterton a little bit. And I'm excited about podcasting more in the new year. So looking forward to that. Me too. Yeah, I um, I got to, for the first time in a very long time, we have a little baby in the family. Um, my brother's Yay. 
baby son and so my nephew he's like the literal cutest he's such a little chunk (laughs) so i got to really cute he's so cute and he's so happy he's just happy all the time um which is such a blessing and he uh was just cute and like laughing and so that was really fun to get to see him a bunch and snuggle him a bunch so it's magical to have a baby around (laughs) at christmas time it really is definitely oh so um what are you what are you drinking this morning <laughs> i am drinking coffee because Me too. <laughs> i've been able to drink it the last week or two so i'm having um hooray a milky coffee as my husband calls them <laughs> and um enjoying it very much you're having a coffee yeah. also i am yep coffee number two this morning <laughs> what have you been reading lately have you read anything So in the last couple of weeks, it's just been kind of crazy with Christmas. But before that, kind of leading up to, I started reading The Way of a Pilgrim, Mm. um, which I don't know if you have read before. I have But I think it's like um, maybe like Russian Orthodox in origin. David has read it. Yeah. And, you know, I think David may have been one of the ones that recommended it to me. I had heard about it from several different uh, people. Yeah. And... We recently had some Franciscans come and visit LSU, and I may have said this last time, but Father Gabriel, who's a CFR, he came in my office and looked at my bookshelf and was like, oh, that's a lot of books. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, how many have you actually read? And I was like, oh. (laughs) And then he started pulling books off the shelf and was like, have you read this one? Have you read this one? And every time I said, I've only read a few chapters, he would like throw it at me and be like, read it. (laughs) You need to finish this. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the ones he pulled off my shelf was um, The Way of a Pilgrim. And it's one that I've really been wanting to read. And I think I had read the first chapter of it like a couple years ago. Um, But anyways, it's a series of stories. They're kind of like anecdotes, but they're um, this pilgrim who is just like making his way across Russia in like the mid 1800s, just like on foot trying to learn how to pray. So he's like asking all of these wise like monks and things and like trying to get advice about how to pray. He, he the catalyst is he reads St. Paul's uh, line that says pray without ceasing. And he's like, I don't understand how to pray without ceasing. Yeah. And so he's like, how, how could I do anything else in my life if I'm praying without ceasing? You know, and um, so his whole journey, I think, is kind of based on that. Like, how do I learn to pray without ceasing? And so it's really cool. Um, and I tend to like the kind of Eastern Christian uh, spirituality because of its simplicity. It really strikes deep for me. And so, um, yeah, so I'm excited to continue reading that. And I've also been reading Dr. Brad Gregory, who is a historian at Notre Dame, I believe, um, wrote a book called Rebel in the Ranks about Martin Luther. Um, Mm. And he has another book that is sort of like the more in-depth version of this book called The Unintended Reformation, um, where he kind of traces like just like the historical effects of Luther and everything that that he did. And it's fascinating. So anyways, I've been trying to read that as well. Um, so yeah, it's more from like a historical perspective than it is a theological perspective, but that's really cool. But yeah, it's really, really, really fascinating. So highly wow. recommend. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, I have been reading a lot, but I've been reading a lot of fiction. Mm. I actually, I've had a cool month of reading because I, um, was given to, well, recommended one book and given another book. Uh, One of them, my friend Joe Field from the University of Dallas, we went to UD together 
I don't know, 11 years ago, 10 years ago, <laughs> he just released his first novel and oh, cool. it's fantasy and it is so fun if you oh, awesome. like fantasy or I honestly haven't read that much fantasy, but I know Joe so well and I was like, I have to see his mind in this book because I just know it's going to be fantastic. So I read his book. It's called The Watchers of the Evenfall Vigil. It was just a very, a very cool story about four characters who are perceived as bad or evil in the world who... Um, basically have to rebrand themselves and they they want to be good even though and it's kind of like for me I told him what moved me the most is like we don't choose who we're born to we don't choose Mm. how we come into the world um, but we do have responsibility over our lives once we do come into the world and Mm. this theme was really strong in it but it was also just like really fun like a lot of um I don't know, mythology and magic and stuff that I wasn't familiar with. I just had such a great time reading it. So that's great. And then the second book I read, which is like a, um, it was a, a given to me by a friend who her friend's mom wrote this book uh, in San Antonio. It was a romantic historical fiction set in World War II. Mm. And <laughs> As I'm speaking my language. <laughs> yes. It's called The Memory of Us. And the writer, the author is um, she's Catholic. And I was very captivated by this story, too. And I don't read as much historical fiction as I used to. And it was so refreshing to like dive back in. And this lady did her research like wow. she it was very detailed about England in World War II and like very accurate and you know as I'm reading it I'm checking things with David like hey have we been to this train station have we been to this place and um yeah and it was just like a captivating story about honestly sin and conversion and um and true love and kind of like what that looks like so two really good reads recently and the second one is Camille DeMaio is the author. Okay. Yeah. Shout out to um, my friends, Little and Catherine, who listen to this podcast sometimes, I think. And they have a writer's club um, where they they write. They're, they're all trying to write fantasy uh, novels. Oh, and so awesome. anyways, they should totally check out that first one. What was the name and the author again? Yeah. It's called The Watchers of the Evenfall Vigil. And it's by Joe Field. And you can get it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and maybe like a few other places, but that's awesome. Yeah. Fun, a super fun read. And I was just so proud to see him like, actually, yeah. you know, so many people talk about writing a book and he mm-hmm. worked on it for since as long as I can remember. And just to to finish it and get it published and everything is just so impressive. And so yeah, inspiring. Yeah. And, you know, it's like really nice to find a modern book that's not like smutty. Also, because yeah. <laughs> a lot of fantasy and fiction that's written today is like nasty in some way mm-hmm. or like, you mm-hmm. know, if there's violence, it's really gory. And I yeah. feel like Joe just hit this really like classy balance with mm-hmm. all of these kind of difficult lines that people like to cross. And um, yeah, I'm super proud of him. So I would that's recommend. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So my my friends that I mentioned, they actually started their group inspired by listening to Pints with Jack 
whenever they those seasons ago, whenever they were talking about, hey, you should start an inklings group in your own town and like so you know, all this cool. kind of stuff. And so they started it and it's been going so good. Like they are they had a writer's retreat where they all like met up and the, there's people from all over the country that are in their group and they meet on Zoom like every Thursday or something like that and they all critique each other's writing and it's just become this amazing community. It's amazing. So um just yeah, inspired by by Christian writers, you know. So So cool. It's awesome. That is so awesome. Yeah, I do feel like we need to support the people that we know that are writing good fiction because mm-hmm. there's not a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of um, honestly crud that's coming out all the yeah. time and getting published by these big publishers. And we have to support these people who are being so creative and interesting about what they're writing. And yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so exciting. Um, it makes me want to be a writer of fiction in some way, but I, every time I start writing, I'm like, oh my gosh, this sounds like Chesterton or this sounds like, um, you know, a, I don't know, another author that I love. And it's like, I've imbibed whoever I've been yeah. reading lately. So I relate to that too. Yeah. That's fine. Anyway, maybe someday. Uh, David bought me a desk. That was one of my Christmas Great. presents. And it's like my spot for prayer and writing and reading and stuff now and like it's really nice to have like a dedicated spot but that's great maybe I'll maybe I'll try to do some more writing there this year that would be fun shall we dive in to St. Francis sure let's do in the second half here we're going to go into some more details about Francis's unique and necessary vocation um, so like his personal impact on the world um, was insane. I mean, it was like so big in ways that you would have never expected for this person who literally gave up everything. Mm. You would think that just this little poor beggar going throughout the countryside of Assisi would <laughs> like not have not change impact thing. as yeah. big as he did. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so so we want to kind of talk about that and, and kind of trace how Chesterton is talking about it. So I think the first um, main thing that Chesterton's trying to get across is that Francis happened. <laughs> and so yes. he's trying to to point out that really it wasn't so much his message, like what he was preaching as he was going throughout the countryside, so much as it was like himself that was making an impact on the people around him, that like mm-hmm. other people could have been saying the same things he was, but wouldn't have had the biggest impact. Um, and so I, I really like his emphasis on this because he's talking about the importance of the individual um, and how like really each individual, I'm kind of drawing this conclusion that like each individual has like a very particular role to play and an impact to make. Mm -hmm. Um, And not everybody, in fact, nobody is going to be (laughs) like St. Francis, exactly like him and the impact that he had. But, um, but in different ways, we're all called to, make some kind of impact yes. on the world. Yeah, as as Chesterton says later in the book, he says, people say there was only one Christian, the one who died on the cross. And he says, like likewise, there was only one Franciscan, St. Francis. Like truly, he was, he, as Grace said, he happened and he was so authentically himself that his presence and the way that he lived his life was was a point of conversion for people. I love what you said about individuality because something that I was taking notes about as I was reading was that 
Saint Francis, one of the things I think that captivated me about him was that he so perfectly mirrored in his life God's love for us. Mm. Um, and I mean, I think it's hard for us to imagine, but like God doesn't just like love humanity generally as a whole. Mm. He loves each of us individually and personally mm-hmm. and passionately and uniquely. And Francis did that in his life. He loved each individual creature and each individual person. And he saw each thing, each person as a unique creation of God that he was called to experience and love in his life. And Mm. I think that's difficult to do. What did you think? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I would love to read a quote about that that really struck me. It was like one of my favorite, favorite ones. It said... There was never a man who looked into those brown burning eyes without being certain that Francis Bernadoni was at, was really interested in him, in his own inner individual life from the cradle to the grave, that he himself was being valued and taken seriously and not merely, merely added to the spoils of some social policy or the names in some clerical document. He just, he took people so seriously and he never saw like you said a crowd um, but he he saw only individuals Um, and it really struck me because and I'll talk about this a little bit later but I've been doing this um, discernment program about like charisms and gifts of the spirit yes and uh, one of the ones like one of the descriptions of one of the charisms was that you never see a crowd but you always see individuals Mm. and you desire to like know the individuals Mm. uniquely um and I was just like oh wow like Francis like he had that charism you know like that was definitely him yes Um, and so it's it's huge because like it said like you're not just trying to like you know say you're going out and you're preaching because you want people to know the Lord um for some people it can be a huge temptation to just fall into this numbers trap where you're just like oh I just have to like how many people bring people bring people bring people and like but you're not actually thinking about each person um or following up with like each person and so um I mean I work in evangelization and catechesis and stuff so it's definitely something that I have to kind of keep at the forefront of my mind of like it's each person matters like each yeah. person individually has something incredibly unique to bring to the church yeah and as much as we desire them to come and to know the lord like for their own sake mm-hmm. we also need them we need their unique charism and stuff and so if we don't yes. take the time to actually get to know that person then we can miss out on that you know and i think this is something that's so beautiful about saint francis's life it's like We have to ask the question, why are we desiring to bring these people to the faith? Because how easy is it to be a a source of pride that I've like, I mean, it sounds silly, but it's like, how many people have I converted? Mm. And like, are we really um, inviting people because we're so in love with the Lord and we just like, we have to share it and we have to draw people into it? Or are we playing a numbers game as you said yeah um a priest Mm -hmm. that i really like once told me when i was i was volunteering in youth and young adult ministry for a few years in san diego he said don't expect to have a like a lifetime impact on really more than like five to ten people in your life Mm. you might change someone's life completely for five to ten people 
And when you think about it like that, it's like how many quality, close mm. relationships can you have with people? Yeah. You can't know everybody. Mm-hmm. Something I w- wanted to ask you about, Grace, that I was thinking about while we were preparing for this part. How do you think this could help people today who are privy to news all over the world mm-hmm. and people all over the world, kind of, mm-hmm. via screens? What can we take from St. Francis's example in this modern reality, this technological reality that we live in? Well, first of all, he, because of when he lived, there were no (laughs) screens or like communication that could um, connect him with the entire world. And yet he was not ignorant of what was happening in the world. I mean, he goes chesterton talks about him going to try to um, end the crusades right yeah like he wants to go and convert but but the way that he does it is so francis because he doesn't say like we're just gonna get together this big army and we're gonna go over there and like our people are gonna fight their people and whatever but instead he goes to the individual yeah of like the sultan or whoever it is you know the guy who's like in charge um and he tries to have a conversation with him like he tries to actually like preach the gospel to him yeah um, and witness to that one guy. And it, it yes. talks about how that one guy was really impacted by Francis, even though he didn't ultimately end up converting. He like lets Francis go home like free. You know what I mean? <laughs> he thought it was I, I think he t- I think he says that like he almost thought it was funny how passionate this like little monk was. So he like lets him go. Yeah. Yeah. So he doesn't just you know, kill him off or whatever, like he could have easily done. But instead he he's like, wait, what's the deal with this guy? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I don't know. I just think that uh, in not being ignorant of what's going on around him, um, he still is so concerned with like what he can do. Mm. And he doesn't try to do what he doesn't have the ability to do, if that makes sense. Um, He just tries to like go person by person. Who's a person that I can impact? And so I think we can take away that like it's really easy with social media and everything and the news and whatever to just kind of like live in this like information world where mm. we're like trying to take in like all these different things that are going on around the world. And we're, it it can paralyze us to actually being present to mm. the person in front of us. Mm. And so I think for myself, I know that I've had to take like long breaks from things like news and social media. Um, And again, not to be ignorant of what's going on in the world, but you can kind of get a general idea of what's going on on in the world pretty quick um, because of the social media and everything that we have. Um, But you really don't need to be sitting on a 24-hour news cycle, like listening to the same thing being rehashed over and over and over and Mm -hmm. over and over again. Um, And so you can kind of like glance at the newspaper or read something online really quick. Or talk to the people that you see each day. Right. And and ask them if something's going on. Exactly. And so um, we can uh, overestimate how much we need to spend time Mm. on these things um, to actually be informed, you know. Yeah. And, uh, And instead, we should, I think, be spending more of our time being present to those people that are most local to us. So yes. first of all, the people who live in our house or yes. the people that we work with um, or the people that we would see every day by, you know, going to the store or wherever yeah. else in our town, the gym or wherever. Yeah. So. Yeah. Being present is so important. It really struck me how Francis 
He lived his life with abandon. He he sought the individual. He loved the individual. He, you know, took each day as an invitation to like live fully. I guess during this time when I've been unwell, I've been on my phone a lot more as I'm just like mm-hmm. resting, whatever. And mm-hmm. it's made me realize how much the opposite of living fully that is Mm. when I've been inundated with the news and with whatever is going on it's like what is who's right in front of me who am I being called to love right now how can I better spend this time how can I pray Mm -hmm. during this time I find Saint Francis to just be continually inspiring it's like Mm. as we've studied this book over the past few months because it's taken us a while to kind of get here (laughs) he's just he's just come to me in different ways and offered such wisdom yeah and i think it's cool um chesterton argues that like in francis's legacy you know there's so many franciscans around the world today that none of their lives look exactly like francis Mm. um because he was so unique and each one of us is so unique um but at the same time they can kind of remind us of him in various ways. And I think all of us who seek to follow in the footsteps of Francis, again, in very different ways in our lives, like can kind of echo that. And I think what's really being echoed is like the spirit, you know, um, and kind of the, the different parts of the Lord that he reveals through his life and his personality Mm -hmm. that when we come to know that same Lord, he can make himself present to us and and little hints and glimmers that would remind us of Francis. And I think that's Mm. a good thing to remember. Yeah. So there was a couple of things that I I kind of wanted to talk about. Um, Chesterton spends a lot of time in the second half of the book talking about Francis himself and his unique vocation, but he also contrasts him with a lot of I think misconceptions about Francis yes um and so I listed a couple of them and I think maybe we can talk about some um so these are the ones that that I found Chesterton argues that um although he may seem like it because of how much he talks about nature like he's constantly Mm -hmm. praising like Mm -hmm. brother son and sister moon and all this kind of stuff um but he's not a pantheist so believing that nature is God or the universe is God um he's not a pagan worshiping the sun and the moon and the stars yeah. and things like that. Um, he's not a socialist, although he lives in this like dedicated community, sort of like the mm. early Christians mm. did with his brothers. Um, he is not, he's, he's sort of like an actor, but he's not a thespian of like the modern sort. And yes. Chesterton kind of makes some comments about that. So we can maybe talk about that. Mm. Um, he also is not the new Christ. So some people would take it so far as to almost worship Francis as like yeah. this new Jesus, you know? Like he's starting a new religion. Right, exactly. And so Chesterton says, no, absolutely not. That is not how Francis was or that's not what he was meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he contrasts him with other movements within the Catholic Church um, that have been recognized by the church. So he says he's very very much not a Benedictine after the order of St. Benedict. And he's also very much not a Dominican who is Mm. a contemporary Dominic um, being a contemporary of Francis. Mm. And so he's kind of trying to contrast him kind of, uh, work out who Francis is yeah. by saying, first of all, like what he's not. Yeah. Um, so I don't know any of those you were struck by. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll start at the top with what you first mentioned, um, pantheism and paganism. I love what Chesterton says about this, and I I kind of touched on it a little bit before, so I won't say too much of what I said again, but 
he says that Francis is free of the paganism. Like he's free of the um, any feeling of responsibility to worship nature. And instead, because of his um, his rightly ordered love of God and his rightly ordered view of God and um, as creator of the universe, this gives him the freedom to worship God and to love God's creations. I thought this was really beautiful because he says Francis is so childlike in his love of nature um, because like the child, he understands the mystery of how God could create the dog or the cat. But he has this really funny line about how the child would not understand the mishmash of every creation put all together and called called <laughs> nature, like with all these arms and legs and eyes and whatever. <laughs> he very much takes it as a child, individual by individual. He loves the birds that he encounters. He loves the dog that he encounters. And he sees... <sighs> He sees the beauty in each of God's creations. One example that I would like to give, which is from later in the in the book. So St. Francis had a horrible condition with his eyes. And at the time, the only treatment that they had for it were, was to cauterize his eyes, which would, you know, obviously end his sight. He would be blind, but would also... I think, end some of the pain in his eyes. Mm -hmm. And um, for, uh, Chesterton talks about how he has his eyes cauterized without anesthetic. And um, <laughs> he says that the tortures that he sought out of his zeal to end the Crusades would not have been as painful as what he endured when his eyes were cauterized, mm -hmm. which I thought was oh horrible. Gosh. But listen yeah. to how beautiful this line is. St. Francis, as the hot, tongs or the hot brand is being brought towards his eyes from the fire says brother fire god made you beautiful and strong and useful i pray you to i pray you be courteous with me ah and i ah. that almost like <laughs> that almost puts you know fills my eyes with tears when i read that but it kind of gives you an idea of his attitude it's like he sees everything as like an instrument and a gift from god and he's like Fire is beautiful and useful and strong, and it is serving a purpose for me right now, even though it is causing me pain. Yeah. And wow. what an attitude to see life with and to see nature with. It's like, yeah, it kind of goes against what our, our mindset as a society is today, which is that comfort is, what, is what's good. Mm. But mm -hmm. sometimes God doesn't deal us comfort, as we know. Sometimes it's suffering. <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean that we should curse God's name or his creations. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I, th I think yeah. he's got such an interesting relationship with nature. And that line just yeah. really says it for me. Yeah, he, I think he sort of treats uh, all the things in the natural world in a similar way that he treats human beings in the sense that he sees each one individually. Mm. And he can kind of see its own particular purpose again like you said not just like this big monster with yeah, all yeah. these different like parts that like it's all one thing but inside of each individual yeah um he sees the fire and he sees the sun and he sees the moon and he sees each star and he sees each blade of grass and each bird and he, you know all these different things as like uniquely an instrument of god or something mm. to express the beauty of god but in a different way so yeah definitely 
a different spin than like a pagan or pantheist way of looking at the world. Mm. The next thing that he says is that he's not a socialist, which is interesting. And I think this mm. one, it's Chesterton has to get his uh, his dig in at Shaw at least once in every book that he writes. <laughs> totally. So hey, he's, he he's lovingly trying to convert <laughs> Shaw in every book that he ever writes. I know. It's so funny. Um, but he talks about uh, property. And mm-hmm. he says about Francis that uh, the dominant detail is the interpretation of the vow of poverty or the refusal of all possessions. Yeah. So Francis rejects all possessions. And he says that um, socialists are not doing that. Yes. They're talking about like, I guess, like individual ownership, but it's like ownership nonetheless. It's like social yeah. ownership or whatever. But Francis is rejecting everything like he doesn't even want social ownership he wants nothing at all (laughs) yes and so that that's what makes him very different from like a socialist mindset and with socialism the final goal is not necessarily like the love and worship of god and so like inevitably people are selfish and people are power hungry and people are whatever and somebody ends up having more Mm -hmm. (laughs) and somebody ends up taking control of others in the group and Mm-hmm. Later, when the Bishop of Assisi expresses his horror at this abject poverty that Francis is living in and suggesting, Francis replies to him and he says, if we had any possessions, we should need weapons and laws to defend them. Mm. And he like basically explains how free they are to like mm-hmm. uh, to worship God and to live in this way by having nothing and how it's really beneficial for them to have nothing. It's, it's crazy though, because it's like, they don't, they don't have anything to sleep on. They don't have anything to eat. It's just what the Lord provides to them. But how beautiful. Yeah. There really is this, just this freedom. Um, I don't remember if I mentioned this in our last episode, but the, when the CFRs came, they, they come down here a lot to do um, just like talks and spiritual direction and things with our students. And mm. Father Mark Mary, who's the priest that does the podcast, I think, Poco a Poco, is that right? Yeah. I love him. He's so, he's so gentle. He has some YouTube videos too. Yeah, so he um he was actually part of the group that came down here I think last spring and they spoke to our leadership students and he gave a whole talk about poverty. Mm. Um and it was so impactful and simple but it was just like he was really kind of calling us on and he was talking about how possessions can become like like chains that we feel burdened by the stuff Mm -hmm. that we have in ways that we don't even recognize. Um, but we're worried about the things that we own, Mm -hmm. um, much more than we think we are. And so when you don't have that stuff anymore, like you said, there's just this great Mm -hmm. freedom that comes because you're like, Oh, I don't have to worry about, you know, the upkeep or, or storing or protecting or, you know, using or whatever, but it's just like, yeah, you're just free. And so he was really challenging us to to kind of get rid of yes. all this excess that we have. And it was really convicting. That's amazing. I love that. And I think especially in like the US, we live with such abundance and it's mm-hmm. smart for all of us to try to 
always be turning our focus back to God. And like one of the ways that we can do that mm-hmm. is to simplify our lives. One of the things that I love about Francis too, though, is that he he asks for himself and for the people who want to join in this movement with him for this poverty and for this um, freedom. But he loves the common ordinary man and he calls, he knows that God calls them to something different. He calls them to have homes and families and Mm -hmm. some possessions, you know, and, you know, later in the book, he, this is like part of why the third order of the Franciscans comes about because it gives the ordinary man the means and the way, the means are the way to, um, to live exalting God in, Mm -hmm. in the role of life that they're being called to. Yeah. I think there's an important, um, section. I don't remember exactly where it is in the book, but, um, Chesterton talks about how Francis, it's important to allow people like Francis to live the gospel word for word, just like super radically, um, and give up all possessions and give up all things. Yeah. But, um, yeah. The cardinal who represents him to the Pope says he's like, let him live the gospel as it says. Yeah. 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 Because we can't, we can't let the words of Christ be rendered false. Like it is possible to live this way. And yet not everyone in the church is called to live that level of radicality, uh, which is interesting. And I think Chesterton is making this point over and over and over again. Um, But I have this quote kind of near the end Mm -hmm. that I think explains it really well. Um, And this kind of plays into this idea of Francis, the the false idea of Francis being like this new Christ or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But it says many of his followers were more or less ready in their hearts to treat him as the founder of a religion. Mm -hmm. They were willing to let the Franciscan spirit escaped from escape from Christendom as the Christian spirit had escaped Mm. from Israel. They were willing to let it eclipse Christendom as the Christian spirit had eclipsed Israel. Francis, the fire that ran through the roads of Italy was to be the beginning of a conflagration in which the old Christian civilization was Mm. to be consumed. That was the point the Pope had to settle whether Christendom should absorb Francis or Francis Christendom. And he decided rightly apart from the duties of his place For the church could include all that was good in the Franciscans, and the Franciscans could not include all that was good Mm. in the church. Um, And so I think that just shows that like the church is so big and vast and wide, and there's so many different ways to be holy and to live out the gospel. Um, And Francis is one of those ways and one of the very like most, I think, profound Mm. ways Mm. of living out this gospel so radically, but there are different ways to live out the gospel. And so it was important that the Pope saw that and was able to say like, this is extremely good and necessary what Francis is doing and the people that want to live like him, like more power to you. But at the same time, the church is bigger. Um, And so there's room for, like you said, the beauty of family life and owning possessions and, you know, things like that, that there's a place, um, there's a place for all of it within the church. Yeah. And I think that quote you just read is Chesterton's evidence for why he's not the new Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And Francis wouldn't have wanted, right. Francis wouldn't have wanted people to believe that he was the new Christ, that he, exactly. he wanted people to adore Christ with their whole lives. Mm-hmm. Do you want to touch really quickly on first the thespian aspect of of his life and then we'll quickly go over benedictines and dominicans sure 
so he he kind of says um <laughs> that his whole life was dramatic uh-huh and yet he he's not a thespian he's not an actor yeah so how did you understand that grace well, I was kind of laughing because he describes him. He's like, well, maybe this is just like Italian, <laughs> like people being dramatic uh, and talking with their hands. And <laughs> and from the Italians I've talked to, that is true mm-hmm. to some extent. Yeah. It is definitely cultural to some extent. Yeah. And he says that Francis really is one of the founders of the medieval drama um, and therefore of the modern drama. So, I mean, he's he's the first one to come up with the whole idea of the nativity scene, the crash or whatever, mm, mm. Um, to kind of act out the mm. um, the nativity at Christmas time. But Chesterton says he was the very reverse of a theatrical person in the selfish sense. Mm. But for all that, he was preeminently a dramatic person. Mm. Um, and I really think this is the thing because there's sort of like this culture of, you know, actors and actresses and the stage mm. and all this kind of stuff. And the kind of um, when you think of of actors and actresses, a lot of times you can think of this very like self-focused, like I'm the star, like look at me, you know, yeah. <laughs> kind of diva, People like are <laughs> prima donna kind of thing. And, and singling you right. out as special. Yeah. And then you kind of start to let that get to your head and you kind of act that way and you have to put on this like yeah. persona of like, this is who I am or whatever. And you he, have times when you're on, right? Yeah. Or you just kind of like adopt a personality yeah, like this like sure. way of being or whatever. I'm thinking about people like even like Lady Gaga or whatever, oh you gosh, know, where she's yeah. like so dramatically like this is my like yeah persona, like this is who I am or whatever. And she works so hard to like be different and mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and, and you think about that and then you think about Francis and you're like, this is total opposite. Yeah. Like Francis is not concerned about himself at all. And the reason why he's so profound is because of that like he's Mm. so concerned about god he's so concerned about the things that god has done he's constantly pointing to god um he's the opposite of selfish he like wants everybody to know the lord yeah and so even though he's dramatic and he's intense and the things that he does are like have a wow factor yes um he's not doing them to get attention yes he's doing them to show something yeah yeah and he it doesn't occur to him to act yeah he just is. And that's is. when I said those those people are on. It's like no matter what persona they've adopted, St. Francis was not on. If he was on, he was authentically on for his whole life. Like there was never an off. He was always himself, if that makes sense. Like he wasn't playing yeah. a part. He was he was authentically being himself. Mm-hmm. I love this part where he said... Uh, we talk about a man who cannot see the wood for the trees. St. Francis was a man who did not want to see the wood for the trees. He wanted to see each tree as a separate and almost sacred thing, being a child of God mm. and therefore a brother or sister of man. But he did not want to stand against a piece of stage scenery used merely as a background and inscribed in a general fashion, scene, a wood. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> that um, made me laugh But then too. instead, it's like the whole background comes alive too in each individual tree, you know, whenever Francis is around. Um, so he says he was too dramatic for the drama. <laughs> I love it. Okay, let's talk briefly about, can you explain to everyone what Chesterton meant by saying that he was not a Benedictine and he was not a Dominican, especially if people aren't familiar with those orders or with the Catholic Church and how there are orders, what does he mean by that? Sure. So there's 
different saints throughout the history of the church who have been founders of these religious orders. So these ways of sort of organizing um, people into, I guess, like a praying community that has a particular gift or charism or mission uh, in the church or in the world. And so St. Benedict, um, this massive figure um, who after or kind of during, I guess, the fall of the Roman Empire, Mm -hmm. Benedict is kind of going out to the countryside. He spends a lot of time as a hermit at first, praying and kind of discovering his vocation, but then people start to follow him. So he creates these these monasteries where basically he has these groups of monks who live together and pray Mm -hmm. and work. And that's kind of Mm -hmm. their their emphasis. They're copying manuscripts. They're uh, really the, the reason why we have the works of, Aristotle and whoever else today because they're copying these manuscripts in their Mm -hmm. monasteries. Mm -hmm. They're praying, they're teaching people. People are kind of coming to them to learn. They're separate um, from the the world, but about everything. Like they're a little set apart. Yeah. So they may have this monastery kind of like out in the middle of nowhere. Um, But then what happens after the fall of Rome is Mm -hmm. that these towns start springing up around each of these monasteries and they kind of become the heart of Christendom. Mm -hmm. Um, So they kind of rebuild society in that way. um, But they preserve Western culture. But they are cloistered so they don't leave they have this vow of stability where they stay where they're with where they are um for their whole lives and living in this mm-hmm. place so people kind of come to them to learn things and not just faith but also like farming methods and you know different things about the right. world and mathematics and whatever so what chesterton says is that it is true to say that what saint benedict had stored saint francis scattered But in the world of spiritual things, what had been stored into barns like grain was scattered over the world as seed. So it was important for Benedict to do what he did and for his monks to do what they did um, in their time and and continuously to Mm. preserve these things, to be a place of stability for people to come, especially when the world around us is always in flux, like Mm -hmm. everything's always changing. And Mm -hmm. here's these Benedictines who are kind of solid and staying. Francis, though, has this particular vocation to take all these treasures and these riches that the Benedictines have stored and scatter them throughout the world and to Mm -hmm. kind of bring the glory of these things to anyone and everyone, including the beggars and in the street, you know? Right. And so he's very different in that way. He's the founder of the, the mendicant movement, which is this group of religious orders that goes out to the world Mm -hmm. um, rather than kind of remaining behind closed doors. And there's, there's room for both. There's room right. for the stable orders and a, mm-hmm. a very special purpose for that. And there's mm-hmm. room for these wandering orders that go out into the mm-hmm. world and mingle with it. Absolutely. Um, and so it, what's interesting is that Francis kind of starts the mendicant order and he inspires uh, his contemporary, St. Dominic, mm-hmm. to do something similar. And yet both of their personalities and charisms mm-hmm. are very different from one another. Mm. Chesterton talks about Francis and Dominic a lot and kind of compares and contrasts Mm. them. But Dominic founds the Dominicans who are very interested in intellectual study, Mm -hmm. which the Franciscans would come to be, but Francis was definitely not an intellectual or an academic, I guess. That was he wasn't not someone his who was focus. studying books. Right. Right. Um, but Dominic was. He was educated and he um, had his his brothers study extensively so that they could become uh, defenders of the faith 
mm-hmm. the face of heresy. Mm-hmm. So they were uh, Franciscans and Dominicans, actually, but Dominicans um, were inquisitors, actually. Um, mm-hmm. So there was like these very dangerous her- heresies, which were preaching things like suicide and like horrible things like people were dying Mm -hmm. um and so the dominicans were trying to be like no that's not the true faith this is why like giving reasons Mm -hmm. so the most famous of the dominicans probably is saint thomas aquinas who Mm -hmm. gives us this very orderly explanation Mm -hmm. of the faith on like deep philosophical levels but in a way that is very clear and very organized and so the dominicans have this character of like clarity and academic rigor Mm. and all of this kind Mm. of stuff whereas the franciscans although many of them became great academics um were had a different flavor just a different character they were kind of like going throughout the world and like preaching in it yeah i don't know how to explain it it, in a way that was different i think too like just we talked about this in our last episode one of the very first examples we see in this book of saint francis which is when he goes to rebuild the church right in assisi Mm -hmm. his work is gathering stones he's begging for Mm -hmm. stones to build this church and it's like if that doesn't i i feel like that's just the perfect example it's like that is what francis was being called to not to study in a library he says uh the practical spirit of the spaniard dominic was almost appalled at the devout irresponsibility of the italian (laughs) francis um so he's like just very reckless um Mm -hmm. in some senses but he he's like doing it in the spirit so chesterton says in all his leaps in the dark francis had an extraordinary faculty of falling on his feet (laughs) so dominic was a planner and he was somebody who was going to like make his order very orderly Mm -hmm. um but francis was just kind of like what's the next thing that the Lord's calling me to do in the yeah. moment? Like, yeah. let's go and do it. You know, I love so. it. The Lord calls all types. Right. And I think it's so necessary that both of these types exist within the church. Totally. And I'm inspired by both of them. And I feel call. Mm-hmm. I feel called to aspects of both of them, which is really cool. Absolutely. It's really encouraging to have this communion of saints that have gone before mm-hmm. us and like support us in this way. I think we need to wrap up, but I okay. want to tell people what we're doing next. Grace, would you mind telling people what our next episode is going to be about? Yes. So I'm very excited um, because we decided that we were going to do kind of part two. I had so much fun doing orthodoxy and I thought it was really nice to kind of go chapter by chapter and really go deep um, into that book. And the sequel to that book is The Everlasting Man. So we've decided that we are going to get into The Everlasting Man in our next episode, hopefully be coming out with some podcasts a little bit more regularly for y'all. And yeah, I'm just, I'm super excited because I've only read the first two chapters of it and it was a couple years ago. So I'm I'm very, very pumped to go. As the CFR who came into your office, <laughs> Read it. Right, the first it. two chapters. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're exactly. we're really really stoked to get going on this book and I was particularly inspired because at the conference I talked to a bunch of people in the summer about how much they love the Everlasting Man and Mm-hmm. it's time it's time for us to dive in and study this book so we are probably going to take it chapter by chapter since it's a big boy we're looking forward to sharing sharing our conversations with you guys all right right before we wrap up um do you yeah. have something that you're grateful for 
at the moment? Yes, I am. Today, I am grateful because it is 40 degrees here today and not <laughs> negative 14. Woo! Oh so. my gosh. <laughs> it's so it's it's so warm (laughs) right now here it's 70 and thunderstorming (laughs) that is literally unreal to me I like can't even remember the days when I lived in San Diego and like (laughs) 50 degrees was cold to me yeah now 40 (laughs) 40 degrees is legit like such a toasty winter day and No, it's super nice. Like the babies can go outside and it's it's great. Aww. So that's what I'm grateful that's for. Awesome. What are you grateful for, Grace? I am very grateful for this discernment program that I've been doing that I was kind of mentioning earlier. It's called Called and Gifted. It's through the Siena Institute. Um, but it just takes you on this journey, I guess, to discover um, what particular spiritual gifts the Lord may have given you. Mm. Um And so I just, it's been so illuminating for me. I'm doing it in a group with several of our staff members who haven't done it before. Mm. Um, And there's a a woman who's trained in it, who's been kind of like walking with us. And so there's a bunch of videos and there's a a big like notebook that you read and everything. And there's like, I think 25 or so different charisms that they have identified in people like throughout the years. And they're like, we don't know how many charisms there are. Like we're sure that there's a lot of like crazy unique ones that we've never even heard of. But like, these are kind of ones that we've been seeing in people. And I think it's really beautiful. And it really kind of goes along with this whole Mm. idea of St. Francis being like, each of us being so unique Mm. um, and individual and the way that the Lord works through us is so, Mm. yeah, unique and individual. And um, a lot of times when we think about gifts, or at least for me, when I've thought about gifts in the past, I've thought about a lot of gifts that are very like, obvious and in your mm-hmm. face um mm-hmm. things that you would see like oh that person has a youtube channel and they like talk so well and blah 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 you know these things where you like see people in the church or somebody like francis who's so like in your face about their um their gift is the so way they're going to impact the church yeah yeah um but what what's cool about this program is that a lot of the charisms are things that you wouldn't necessarily notice unless you were looking for them um so for example they talk about the charism of helps which is a person who has a particular gift of coming alongside Mm -hmm. one of these very obvious leaders and that that person that leader would not be able to do what they did without the support of this like other person Interesting. Um, but they're so in the background that you like don't really notice them but they're indispensable for Mm. what that person is is able to do and so so really um yeah, it's talking about um, just, yeah, a lot of these like little ones that you don't think about or like intercessory prayer, or, like people who just have this ability and this desire and this love for just like interceding for people constantly. Mm. And just they have people that just pop in their minds all the time and they just know that they have to pray for that person and they're excited to do it. And I don't know, I just I've been seeing different um, gifts in the people in my life and being able to recognize them and be like, ah, oh, that person definitely has that gift, you know, yeah. um, but it's freeing, too, because it kind of shows you what gifts you don't have mm. and it kind of gives you permission to be okay with that you know like to lean not in, lean into what you do strive have. and strive yeah. yeah exactly to try to like prove to yeah. whoever that you have it or whatever and it's like all these things are things that christians are called to in general um but yeah. there's a difference between 
kind of living virtue and actually having this supernatural charism of the Holy Spirit that the Lord is like using you consistently um, through this thing. So anyways, it's been really awesome. Highly recommend. um, And yeah, it's been fun to kind of see myself and all the people around me. So thank you for sharing about that. I hope people take a look at that. Wonderful. Well, in the meantime, guys, if you ever want to get in touch with us, our email is pintswithchesterton at gmail.com. Our Instagram handle is at pintswithchesterton and our website is pintswithchesterton.com. We are so looking forward to 2023 with you and just releasing hopefully lots of great content about the everlasting man and then some fiction after that. (laughs) Please join us for that journey and may you all enjoy lives of wit and whimsy. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.